Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On April 3rd, the Walt Disney Company will be hosting its annual meeting of shareholders and we need you all to vote for your board. It's important you vote only for Disney's 12 nominees using the white proxy card. Do not vote for the Tryon Group or Blackwell's nominees. Learn more at VoteDisney.com. It is Friday, January 12th. We've known for a while that the Paramount Global Media Empire is for sale. It's the smallest and the weakest of the traditional entertainment conglomerates, and we are in an age of consolidation. Though I think they're going to have a hit this weekend with the Mean Girls musical. Sherry Redstone, the heir to her father Sumner's company that includes the Paramount Movie Studio, Paramount Plus Streamer, a bunch of declining cable networks like MTV and Comedy Central, She's been talking to anyone and everyone that will make her an offer, but so far she's rejected them all. I reported in my Puck newsletter last month that David Ellison and his financial backers are trying to put together an offer for National Amusements, which is the parent company of Paramount, also controlled by the Redstones. Ellison, of course, is the son of Larry Ellison, who founded Oracle and is worth about $150 billion. The dude literally owns one of the islands of Hawaii. David has had a nice run in Hollywood lately with Skydance Media, his company. They co-financed and produced a bunch of stuff, including Top Gun Maverick and the Mission Impossible movies at Paramount. The Wall Street Journal followed up on my report on Wednesday and said that the Ellison offer could be an all-cash offer for national amusements, with the goal of first gaining control of the parent company, then merging Paramount with Skydance, giving Ellison full control of the studio. That sounds great, but it's complicated because Paramount has a dual-class share structure. The Redstones have 77% of the voting interest in Paramount via National Amusements, but they only own about 10% of the economic interest in the company. That means there's a whole group of shareholders, including Warren Buffett, who might not love it if Sherry sells control of the company out from under them. These talks are still early, and there are a bunch of other potential suitors and scenarios out there. But I reported last night that the Ellison team is getting pretty aggressive. They got the whole war room going. They want this to happen. And they've got Larry's money behind them, in addition to the Skydance backers, Redbird Capital and Tencent. If we learned anything from Succession, it's that money wins, right? But how is this all going to play out? It's super complex. So today I thought it'd be helpful to bring in William Cohan from Puck. He writes about the world of finance and banking. He's a former investment banker himself. He's been following the Redstone Empire for years and has some pretty good insights into how this possible deal of the year might play out. So today it's an update on the Paramount sale with Bill Cohan. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Bill Cohan, my colleague from Puck and a longtime chronicler of the Redstone Media Empire. Welcome, Bill. Hey, Matt. It's great to be here with you. So you've been writing about this in your dry powder newsletter. I've been writing about this in my puck newsletter as well. This Paramount situation is fascinating, but it's also complicated. And Sherry Redstone has had multiple offers over the years put in front of her. She's rejected them all. She has a, shall we say, aggressive stance on what she believes the assets of Paramount Global and National Amusements are worth. The market currently has Paramount Global at about $9.5 billion market capitalization. Um, there's debt as well. And 
here we are with the Ellison bid coming together and others circling. What do you think Sherry wants out of this deal? And why are we seeing the willingness to engage now? Well, I haven't uh, spoken to Sherry in many years. Uh, <laughs> She's not a fan of yours, uh, I, I can no. report. You know, Matt, let's let's make sure people remember a few things. Uh, first of all, uh, she and her father did not get along. He did not want her in charge of this empire. He brought CBS and Viacom together, merged them, and then unmerged them like in 2005 and didn't believe they should be put back together. He did that for a reason. When he was uh, basically comatose, she swiped the company uh, from him. Uh, then she uh, uh, took several attempts, but put the companies back together again to create uh, CBS Viacom and then was now uh, Paramount Global. Uh, he didn't want that to happen. So she thought, I'm sure, that uh, if I uh, put these two companies together, it'll be you know much easier to sell. Somebody will come along, and I only have to sell it once uh, as opposed to selling it twice. And you know, it's such a great combination of the old CBS, Paramount, Comedy Central, a bunch of other cable channels. And uh, you know, of course, somebody's going to want this, and it'll be worth bazillions of dollars, and I'll be fabulously rich, and I will prove my father wrong, and I'll prove everybody else in Hollywood and, and on Wall Street wrong, and I'll be, you know, uh, a superhero. And I think she's turned the family fortune that was about, you know, ten billion into kind of one billion now. It's certainly declined. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, it may even be less given what's going on at National Amusement. So what does she want? She wants, uh, you know, vindication by being able to sell it and looking like she protected her family and cared for her family. But she, I think, uh, made a major mistake by putting the two companies back together because I think actually it would have been easier to sell them uh, separately. She's, you know, completely missed uh, the sell window, and now she's trying to ram it through. Well, because every day this company is not sold, it probably gets less valuable. And there are some more impending deadlines that she has to contend with. For instance, there is a March deadline for a $38 million payment on a loan that she got from Wells Fargo. And she's going to have to pay that. The New York Post claimed that she may not be able to pay that. And last May, National Amusement had to issue $125 million in preferred stock to its banker that has interest of almost 8% on it. And that's because National Amusements exists on the dividend that is thrown off from Paramount Global. So when Paramount Global is struggling, as it has been, National Amusements suffers, and that is where the Redstone family fortune is made on National Amusements. So these factors essentially have given her a ticking clock. She needs this company to either dramatically make more money, or she needs to find a partner that can come in and take assets off her hands. She's currently trying to sell BET to a group led by its management. That's an asset that she has had offers for in the past and has declined. And she's now looking at this offer from the Ellisons. Do you agree with me on the urgency right now? 
So just thinking tactically uh, here, Matt, I'm not as smart as Larry Ellison, obviously, uh, and, you know, and if he's really involved in this now, that's changed the whole dynamic a little bit, considering his fortune is, what, $100 billion or something. 150 but who's counting? So that obviously changes the dynamic considerably. We'll get to that in a minute. But if I were him and a seller had a $37 million payment uh, in March that they couldn't make, why in the world would I, you know, fast track this? Why in the world would I help her out with that uh, if there's actually a risk that she can't make that payment and there's a payment default? Well, that means there's uh, a risk of a bankruptcy filing. I'd rather buy these assets out of bankruptcy. You know, it's hard to know exactly what's going on at National uh, Amusements. I think there's around a billion dollars of debt. Maybe this Wells Fargo line of credit is part of that. There's the $125 million, uh to BDT uh, that you mentioned, Byron Trott's uh, firm. So that's a billion and $1.125 billion. They've got Movie theaters that are probably struggling for sure. We don't know what the P&L looks like. Uh, the reason they brought in BDT originally was because they couldn't, uh, they were having trouble making a, a payment. You know, Sherry, God bless you, but I, I'm not going near, if I were smart and if I were Larry Ellison, I'm not going near your company until you either file for bankruptcy, and then I'll be very interested in looking at it, or I get control of it for making this 37 million dollar payment. Why, why should I do anything to help you out of this situation? The argument, at least, is that if they do go bankrupt or if they're in a more dire situation, then others will come out of the woodwork and start trying to pick things off. And perhaps that's the pitch. You know, before all this happens, we can take this asset off your hands. We'll give you a premium of some sort to walk away. You can save face. We get the asset and everybody's happy. In other words, if I overpay to help you out, then we'll make everybody happy. I don't know. I don't think Larry Ellison made a $150 billion fortune by m making those kinds of mistakes. But, you know, maybe uh, that's something his um, son wants him to do. Again, I would be extremely opportunistic at this point, wouldn't rush into anything, would not be putting together a war room, would not be trying to fast track this due diligence. I would be slow tracking it. Oh, you got a problem in March? Let's talk in March. Right. So explain to us what the Ellison pitch is here. They want to go after National Amusements, get control there, and then merge Paramount with Skydance. Explain the pros and cons of that strategy, because there are some pretty big cons. And I assume when you, when you say merge with Paramount, you mean merge with Paramount Global, not just the Paramount Studio? Or do you well, mean that? Well, that is studio? actually a, a very good question and distinction, because what Ellison really wants here, David Ellison, is he wants the Paramount studio. I get that. Yeah. he. I mean, it's a storied company. It's one of the original Hollywood studios. It's got a beautiful lot in the middle of Hollywood. He could be a mogul. Even for without next... Tom Cruise? <laughs> we'll get to Tom Cruise. But it's got a beautiful campus there. He could be a mogul for the next 40 years running a movie studio. But it also has all these other garbage assets, the cable networks, et cetera, a streaming service that doesn't make money and most people believe will either be merged or closed in the next couple of years. And Ellison probably doesn't want those. And I do think that 
if they merge Paramount Global with Skydance, then what Ellison would do is enable Redbird Capital, his partner there, or Tencent, to essentially dispose of those assets, try to find some buyer for them, whether it's a private equity vulture or some existing cable network owner that might take these assets off their hand. So they're just left with the Paramount studio. I don't know if there are buyers for that, but explain what the downside is potentially to this merger vis-a-vis the shareholders of Paramount Global. There are so many problems, okay? Mm -hmm. Sherry controls nearly 80% of the voting stock, but, you know, less than 10% of the economic value. She's not even the largest economic shareholder in Paramount Global. That's Warren Buffett uh, with, I think, Mario Gabelli, uh, you know, a close second. Mario Gabelli has been long-suffering in this as an equity holder for decades? I don't know, long time. So if there's no deal for Paramount Global, he's going to be very unhappy. Warren Buffett, who has not been in here very long but has a big loss on his hand, if there's no deal for Paramount Global, he's going to be uh, pretty unhappy. So if somebody just comes along and buys national amusements to get control of Paramount Global like that uh, and leaves Paramount Global trading out there by itself, uh, the stock is going to collapse, which is why I think, you know, it's been trading down since you first reported uh, a couple of weeks ago that this might happen. It traded well, it up. shot up and then traded down. Yes, Right. And now it's basically back to below where it was when you first reported. And that's because if National Amusements is what's bought, then the Paramount Global shareholders are going to be twisting in the wind. That's one complication. And that's going to that would get very, 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 very ugly. But aren't there ways to get around that? Uh, can't you issue, you know, have some independent valuation expert come in and say, this is what we believe the company is worth. And then Paramount Global gets a higher valuation based on this deal. Is, aren't there ways or, to be creative there? I mean, I think what the Ellison Group is trying to do is be clever by half, i.e. by buying national amusements, they're thinking to themselves, well, I'm not going to have to pay, you know, 25 billion for Paramount Global. I'll just pay Sherry's uh, stock in uh, uh, Paramount is worth. I mean, let's just be nice and say it's worth a billion dollars. And then she's got this control uh, voting position, so she'll say, "Well, you've got to pay me more uh, than a billion dollars because I've got control that I can sell you." So, okay, let's let's be kind and give her two billion. So you buy. National Amusements for $2 billion. Obviously, that's less than buying the equity of Paramount Global, which would be, you know, $10 billion. What do you then get? You get the money-losing theaters, which we don't know what the P&L looks like, but that's probably not pretty. And then you get that $1.125 billion of debt and preferred with a uh, potential default looming. You're going to have to pay all that off. So that's another billion. And of course, you're really paying, say, $3 billion for this thing as a way to get control. But then that's it. I mean, then you've you've bought control. You basically become Sherry Redstone. And then you're just sitting there controlling Paramount Global. And the Paramount Global shareholders, Warren Buffett and Mero Gabelli, are getting nothing, nothing. Yeah. And their stock is going to go down and there's going to be shareholder lawsuits. And that's going to get really ugly. Okay, that's point number one. The other huge point here is, now this is where Larry Ellison becomes very important that if it was just David Ellison and Redbird Capital, then for sure the change of control provisions in the Paramount Global senior notes would be triggered 
which means that if there's a downgrade in their credit rating from triple B, which there probably would be with a financial buyer, then 11 billion of Paramount's Global's 14 billion of debt is due and payable immediately. Huh. Immediately. So that's 11 billion that David Ellison and Jerry Cardinale would have to somehow get refinanced in a very, very tough financing market with a asset that's like a falling knife. Okay. Well, but now, with, with, or, okay, continue because having Larry matters. Okay. Well, if Larry is really part of this, and I mean really part of it by, you know, putting his fortune up, backing his son in the bid, well, then they probably won't get a downgrade because if you've got 150 billion of Oracle stock backing you and actually is a part of the, either there's some sort of guarantee or I think there'd have to actually be a guarantee. I think Larry Ellison would have to guarantee, uh, you know, essentially the credit of Paramount Global. He could put up Lanai, put up the island of Lanai, maybe guarantee pineapples right. forever. He could do a <laughs> he could do 150 billion things and and make that problem go away. So if he's really part of it, then that changes the dynamic, and there won't be that kind of risk of the 11 billion becoming due and payable. Okay, but then there is one more problem. If all they really want at the end of the day is the Paramount Studio, and they're going to sell all these other things, all of these other assets at Paramount Global, CBS. Uh, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, uh, Nickelodeon, yes. whatever. BET. These are BET. They're very low basis. So therefore, uh, there's going to be subject to huge capital gains tax. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of value leakage. You know, maybe they don't care about that. And who are the buyers? Who Who is going to buy a CBS? Apollo? I guess Apollo would. I've always yeah, I mean, Apollo there's a number would. of private equity. The CBS, I don't see a problem with. Like, that's the one asset that does still have value, and they have NFL rights for another eight, nine years. And, like, that, that, that is... The EBITDA is shrinking every year. But, that's okay, true. Uh, that's true. But let, listen, newspapers have found buyers in private equity. and Not you know, good ones. Not good ones, but there are newspapers that have financial owners that have traded hands. So, you know, and somebody or some rich person would come forward and say, yeah, I'd like to own CBS. You know, I'll, I'll have the power of CBS News. Thank you very much. But it's the other stuff. It's the cable networks that is going to be a real problem because you'd probably have to find a buyer that was already in the cable television business that just wants to kind of double down on the cash flow and ride these things out or find some vulture private equity, low level one that just wants to, you know, milk it like a vampire. But I don't, I don't see the, the buyers lining it's up for those assets. So or shut them down. Or shut them down. This is such a terrible premise and so many risks on which to do a deal. But, you know, Larry Ellison obviously is a very large egoed person, and he probably thinks he can pull this off. And, you know, if, he, if his son wants to do this, he'd probably back him. If, if I had $150 billion and my son wanted to do this, I'd probably back him too. But this is extremely complicated and high risk. And is he willing to uh, guarantee the um, Paramount Global debt? Maybe, you know, 10% or less than 10% of his fortune. So maybe he'd do that. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Daylight Saving Time is back. Wait, wasn't that a movie from 2009? Okay. Anyway, I do love more hours of daylight. But if you're hiring, it really doesn't matter. Because even though it may feel as if your day is longer, it won't help you find qualified candidates any sooner. 
There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. Once you post your job, ZipRecruiter sends it to 100 plus job sites and then uses smart technology to find people with the skills and experience to match the position. So spring forward with ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers get a quality candidate within the first day. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash town. Tap the banner to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. What is Warren Buffett thinking here? I know a lot of people, yourself included, were kind of scratching their heads when he bought into this company. And there was some speculation that maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was one of his people. He actually mm-hmm. went on CNBC and said that Paramount was <laughs> not a great business. And this is coming from the largest shareholder in that business. So what is what is going on here? I suspect somebody else besides Warren decided this would be a good sort of arbitrage play and that, that, you know, oh, she's got to sell it and she will. And so she'll get a big, you know, she'll get a price higher than what we buy into it for. But I think he paid around $30 a share. And now, uh, you know, we're well, well below that. And again, if Sherry sells national amusements, then the Paramount Global stock is going to just continue to tank. I mean, it really will tank. And then he's going to be more pissed than ever. Why would it necessarily tank? Because the only reason it moved mm-hmm. up, as you saw, was because you reported that there was a potential M&A activity. Yeah, but wouldn't the market like to have an Ellison as the controlling shareholder rather than a Redstone? What difference does it make? You have potential to invest tons of money and potentially turn this company around. If that's really what you want to do, then you should buy Paramount Global, not National Amusements. You know, if you really want to own this company and turn it around and merge it with Skydance, Skydance should make a tender offer or enter into a merger agreement uh, with Paramount Global and forget National Amusements. Why do you want this idea that somehow you're going to buy Paramount Global on the cheap because you're buying it through National Amusements. First of all, that's a $3 billion piece of crap that you're getting. And you're pissing off Warren Buffett and Merrick Belly. You're absolutely going to get shareholder losses. Or you're going to turn around and buy it again because you're going to have to buy it the second time to make all that go away and to get what you want. So just forget, Sherry. If you make an offer for Paramount Global, then you get all that without the National Amusements Michigas. And, you know, you can do it through Skydance, backed by Larry Ellison, you know, which will, of course, attract lots of Wall Street money and uh, refinance the Paramount Global debt and, you know, be off to the races, do what you want. Meanwhile, Paramount is really struggling and it's getting worse. Um, you mentioned Tom Cruise leaving. Uh, you know, that I think was a little overreported. Tom Cruise did a, a deal with Warner Brothers 
this past week to set up an office there. He has a development deal with Warner Brothers. That is not exclusive. He can still make movies elsewhere. He's doing Mission Impossible right now. Um, he may do a Top Gun sequel uh, after that. He may do a Universal movie after that, the one supposedly set in space. Tom Cruise hasn't had a formal deal at Paramount in more than 15 years. He's just sort of been making most of his movies there. So Warner Brothers signing him was more of a press release for the CEO, David Zasloff, than anything substantive. But it is another sign that the biggest talents don't really want to be at Paramount right now because there's so much uncertainty. And they're not making the big franchise tentpole movies outside of Mission. And they've had smaller hits. They do well in horror lately. And some of the kids' movies, they had Ninja Turtles. They had Paw Patrol. And they've got Mean Girls, which is based on a 20-year-old Paramount movie. They, they can still do that stuff. But in terms of investing in the future and trying to develop A-list IP, they are not really a player because of all the uncertainty and, and the financial challenges. So this does have an impact on the content that you and I see. I mean, again, I get, I, I go back to the beginning. I just think um, Sherry completely misplayed her hand uh, on this whole episode. She's dwindled her family's fortune. She's put herself in an extremely difficult position, uh, which the Ellisons uh, could definitely uh, take advantage of if they want to, or they could be more kindly about it and try to do something before there's a default. You know, I don't see anybody else coming along. I mean, you know. You don't think the Warner Brothers Discovery oh, thing please. is real? It was reported Absolutely that they not. were meeting. And yeah, I, I don't think that will happen either. I think that the Comcast Warner Discovery talks will be much more serious. I, I think the market reaction. Still a long shot, but the market reaction to the report in Axios last month that the CEOs of Paramount and Warner Discovery had lunch and discussed a possible deal. That reaction was very negative. So I think Warner's saw that reaction and it's kind of pulled back there. Well, how does that get out, by the way? Does that get leaked somehow? I mean, why, I have why my would theory. Lunch... I think it was certainly leaked. Uh, I have my theory on that. I believe someone on the Warner's side leaked that to kind of trial balloon and see what the market would say. Um, obviously, they've denied that. But I think that this was the, a, a test to see, okay, what do, what would people think if we were to talk to them? And they got their answer. They wouldn't think much of it. My second part of the theory is that it's like a way to say to Brian Roberts, okay, Brian, time to talk now. Yeah. Uh, CEO of Comcast. Yeah. Or else, uh, you know, maybe I'll do a deal with Bob Backish. Yeah. Uh, or Although Sherry, Roberts you know, is pretty savvy. I think he could probably see not. through that. Yeah, yeah. Right. If he wants to do a deal, he will do it. If he doesn't, it's, you know, some report in Axios is not going to make him do it. So. How does this play out in 2024? You've kind of outlined what you think might happen, but if there's no sale, does Paramount Global go bankrupt? I mean, they still throw off some money. They would shut down Paramount Plus or somehow curtail it uh, way before, you know, they go bankrupt or they'd sell BET to get the cash to pay down debt, you know. So, I don't I don't think Paramount Global is going bankrupt. National Amusements could go bankrupt. Now then that's the time to pounce on National Amusements. Before that, I guess if the Ellisons want to be nice, they can help her out of her situation. But I would not pay her anywhere near what she's going to want. All right. Well, uh, I'm pretty sure Sherry is not going to invite you to enjoy March Madness uh, that CBS is broadcasting uh, to enjoy your Blue Devils. No, but Duke. Duke will be part of it. So uh, <laughs> I'll enjoy it on my big screen TV. 
watching her network. You still you still support her. You do not boycott her networks. I still watch college basketball on CBS and NFL football like 300 million other Americans. Right, right. Okay, well, uh, maybe if the Ellisons do this deal, they'll invite you to Lanai for the holidays. Oh, that would be fun. That would yes. be fun. I would love to talk to Larry about doing a guarantee for this Paramount Global debt. Mm, we'll see if that happens. He doesn't seem to be the most press-friendly person in the world. But no. uh, yeah. No. All right. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for coming on. Your newsletter for Puck is dry powder. It is excellent. And uh, we'll have you on soon. Thank you, Matt. We are back with the call sheet. Craig, are you going to see Mean Girls? I love the original Mean Girls. I'm a huge uh, who fan. doesn't? It's I one of the Tina classic Fey. comedies. I, my first job out of college was on a Tina Fey show as a PA. I worked on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. So I'm like a big Tina Fey supporter. I don't know if I'll see it in theaters, but I, I will see it. I don't, I don't know how I feel about this movie being made and being a secret musical. Well, it's only a secret musical in the marketing. They just kind of hidden it. But we've talked about that. That's it's why. It's a secret musical to the public, essentially. I know. My sister actually texted me. She's like, what is this Mean Girls thing? Is this just a remake? I'm like, no, it's a version of the musical that played Broadway. But like, of course, they don't show that in the trailers. We've talked about that. It's because most people, when they hear musical, they cringe. And when they actually see it, they're more likely to accept it. It's the same with Wonka, same with Color Purple. Yeah, but Wonka, at least the original Wonka, has music in it, so it has singing still. Well, but there is a Mean Girls Broadway musical that this is adapted from, and Tina Fey wrote that. Yes, but that is not very well known, that this is an adaptation of the Broadway play. I think, I think the average person probably just thinks they're making another Mean Girls. Maybe. Yeah, and it, they did do a Mean Girls too, as you informed me. Uh, In 2011, Meadows. Tim yes. Meadows cashing checks. I know. Uh, I feel bad. That one is not canon. That is not Mean Girls canon. But this one is the tracking is at 30 million for the four day holiday weekend. Not bad. This movie costs about 35 million to make, if you believe Paramount. So I'm bullish. I'm going to take the over on this. I think this is going to overperform. I love the casting. I think Renee Rapp is the perfect choice to play Regina George. So I do think this movie is going to be good. I, I think like incorporating social media into the Mean Girls world and like rewriting it in modern day is a good idea and it'll probably be good. And I'm sure the script is really funny. Reviews are not great. And apparently the music is not great. Uh, was not the highlight of the musical. Hmm. But Tina Fey's in it. Gotta love that. And the original actually did 130 million worldwide, 86 million domestic in 2004. So that's a pretty big hit for a comedy. And then obviously it became like a cult classic. But um, yeah, I think this one is going to do pretty well. I don't know if it'll do as well internationally, but I think it could probably get up to 60, 70 million in this country. And uh, that's a win for Paramount. I wish it was a sequel in the sense that Renee Rapp would have been Regina George's daughter, Rachel McAdams' daughter. And then we could have had Rachel McAdams be in it as the mom. I think that would have been better. Listen, if this is a hit, maybe they'll do a crossover thing. And I'm sure, I mean, I don't know what the Easter eggs are in this movie, but I'm sure they, they're dropping some stuff for the original. All right, so the over on Mean Girls. We'll see how I do. Uh, all right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Bill Cohan. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.